0: listening to Keon Sports, your top place for all professional wrestling coverage, past, present and future. Stick with us at www.keonsports.com. Welcome to the Player Spotlight Series. Tonight, we circle back to the vintage era of WWF with Tito Santana. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next is Tito Santana, as we're going to go ahead and talk to his, him about his new book, Don't Call Me Chico. You can pick up that book at titosantana.com. And without any further ado, let's get him to the line now. On the hotline now here with Keon Sports, uh, Tito Santana, real name here, Merced Solis. Um, you know, sir, uh, it, it's an honor of mine as, as you know, a current broadcaster and also someone who grew up watching the sport to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, Vince. Uh, thank you for being a fan and thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to uh, my wrestling fans.
0: Absolutely. Uh, You know, the biggest reason we we had you on today is to talk about your career. But before we do that, I want to give you the chance right away to plug your new book, Don't Call Me Chico. What can fans expect to learn in that book, and where can they pick it up?
1: Well, uh, the book is almost 400 pages. Uh, I start with the beginning of my my life. I started uh, working as a migrant worker when I was seven years old. I lived in South Texas when we used to uh, come up north, uh, Indiana, Iowa, Minnesota, and work in the fields, and uh, how education became important to me, and uh, you know, how I got involved in sports, and then my football career, my wrestling career, and uh, now my uh, teaching, what I'm doing in teaching, and uh, there's a bunch of good stories uh, going on, and all they have to do is uh, go to PayPal, uh, TitoSantana.com, and
0: Uh, order the books. Excellent. Well, um, everybody, I would encourage you to go ahead and do that. So, you know, I wanted to ask you here, i got a couple questions, and I'm very excited, I'm not going to lie. I grew up a a hardcore fan, so, you know, Vince McMahon chose you in the opening match of WrestleMania. Uh, It was his biggest gamble, you know, with his company at the time. Obviously, changed the industry as we know it today. At the time, you know, I know you were a little bit skeptical about having to go out first but then he explained to you you know right before you went through the curtain what an honor that was looking back on that how special was that that he chose you first you and you know playboy buddy rose to set the tone
1: well like, like you're right at the time i was pretty upset because uh me and greg the hammer valentine as far as i was concerned we had the hottest. uh, uh uh, going on in the, in the WWF, we had been selling out all the, the big, uh, arenas throughout the country. And all of a sudden I'm opening a match, uh, you know, in WrestleMania. Uh, I, I, didn't look at how big the event was going to be. I, I, saw the fact that I was opening the match. Uh, I was pretty disappointed. You know, I thought, uh, my match against the Hammer Valentine should have been, uh, you know, one of the main bouts, uh, for that WrestleMania show. And if it had such interest, uh, important match that was uh, for me and, and for the wrestling fans and for Vince McMahon, for him to choose me to choose, I'd be the one to you know to set the tempo for the night, and uh, I believe uh, we went out and did it.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and you know we're going to get to that in a bit. You did it again. We'll we'll talk here a little bit later on about WrestleMania 8 with Shawn Michaels, where you were given that role again. You know that that responsibility, and you guys came out in my opinion, at WrestleMania 8, you and Shawn Michaels and tore down the house. So we'll talk about that in a bit. Now, shortly after WrestleMania, you won the Intercontinental title back from Greg Valentine, and then eventually you would drop it to uh, Randy Macho Man Savage in February of 1986. You know, working with him that night and, and in that program with Savage, could you tell back then just how big of a star he was going to be? Was there something about him, you know, working with him that you could just kind of tell? Well,
1: uh, it, 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 it really... It wasn't uh, Macho Man was uh, was a good interviewer and a lot to me. I, I thought that Elizabeth was the was the key to, to that team. Macho Man came to the WWF and you know he was working and uh, I don't know if you remember before he had the managers and all the managers started coming out and watching him wrestle. Mm-hmm. But when he was when he would go out by himself, he wasn't the crowd wasn't getting into him at all. Uh, it was like an open, uh, just an opener, you know. Uh, uh, Regular guy, and then the minute they worked out that angle where all the managers came out and they were all bidding for him, and Elizabeth comes out and she wins, and you know the combination of how he used to treat her and uh, a beautiful girl that she was, and you know her part was uh, fantastic, and you know she got as much sympathy as he got heat, uh, and, and I did know that he had something special, and, and you know he was going to go on and, and, and be big, you know, because I know liked him and, and you know if Vince liked you he, he was gonna go
0: with you what was it like for you to step out in front of 93,000 people at Wrestlemania 3 can you just kind of talk a little bit about what was going through your veins
1: well uh, I was a I was a rookie in the NFL playing for the Kansas City Chiefs uh in 1975 and I had played uh they caught the ribbon, the, the teams against, the, uh, I, I, I guess, the oh God, I Detroit, the Detroit uh, uh, Lions. Uh, we wrestled, and it was raining, and the, 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 the roof was leaking. So I had been in that stadium as a football player. Uh, and then for me to come out, you know, before the the, the, the matches, uh, we kept hearing about what a big crowd we were going to have, and you know, I went all the way to the top uh, to see the ring looked so small. Uh, and I just said, you know, back then you didn't have the, the, the white boards all over the, the arena, so people could watch them. You know, the matches close by, uh, they could just see the ring, and uh, you know, it was that when I came out to actual actually wrestle. And see the crowd—it was amazing. You know, it was a—it was an unbelievable
0: night. After a very successful singles run, you know, you, you got moved back into tag action. Yet you, you had been there once before as a champion, and McMahon and the booking committee put you back there. This time, really exciting, actually. One of my favorite tag teams as a kid with Strikeforce. Uh, you guys began in the August of 1987. You were quickly given a large push, you know, given the tag team championship victory over the Hart Foundation, and the Hart Foundation was a really big deal. What was the transition like from you to go back, you know, from singles to tag team, and what was it like to tag with Rick the DeMar- Martel? Well, uh, Rick Martel and
1: I had had tagged in the AWA uh, a couple of years earlier. We were both together in the AWA, and, and, and we really, really chilled in the AWA. Uh, but I was on my way out. Uh, you know, I ended up going to WCW from there. That's when uh, the old days when you used to travel quite a bit. Uh, I I, I like personally, I enjoyed wrestling singles, but they weren't doing anything with Tito Santana as a singles. So when when the opportunity came for me uh, to team up with uh, Rick Martel, uh, he had started out with Tom Zink and. Uh, I don't know what happened with that tech team, but overnight, Tom Zink picked up his bags and uh, flew home, and, and he didn't even give a notice. He just quit. But when Vince came and asked me, you know, uh, presented the opportunity, I know that he was going to be doing something, and you know, uh, it, it was to me teaming up with Rick was it was 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 a, was a dream, and uh, we did uh, get over with the fans real big, you know. But you know. This pushed us, you know. He he sure knew how to get people over, and I enjoyed it for as long as it lasted. Uh, Things happened with Rick, and he had to go back to Quebec. Uh, I understand his wife was sick, and he wanted to be with his wife. Uh, That's what I was told. So uh, we didn't last very long. But we did get
0: over. Yeah, you absolutely got over. And then they tried to bring it back at WrestleMania Five against the Brain Busters. When did you find out that um, they were going to give it another run, or did you did they just kind of tell you flat out like you know we're not going to give you guys another run? We just need to bring him back to split you guys up and, and start that feud. How did you find that out, and you know what were your feelings towards it? Well,
1: I I, I knew uh, when they were going to split us up. It sounded like a good thing because I was going to go back to Stingles and it was a, a ready-made uh, feud, you know. Uh, the, the, I don't know if you remember how he left me in the ring. Oh yeah. There was a lot of heat. There was a lot of heat there, and, and we could not wrestle against each other. just the way I wrestled against uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, because uh, the people were really, you know, mad at uh, Rick for for doing what he did to me. Uh, but you know, I don't know why it didn't happen. You know, they they. I think I went around around, uh, with Rick maybe one or two times, and then they dropped it and, you know, never built it, never put any flames uh, in in the fire, and, you know, it was over before you know it.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the crazy thing about it. They, um, you know, they booked you to win the King of the Ring that year in 89, and what you did over Rick Martel, but they never let you guys have that, you know, that payoff or that that pay-per-view blow-off match. At SummerSlam, you were part of a six-man tag uh, with the Rujo brothers and the Rockers. Then in the Survivor Series, you guys were on opposite teams. But yeah, it is strange to me that you guys never had that one-on-one blow-off match. Another huge show was WrestleMania Six in front of 67,000 people in Toronto. The hype was high that night because Hulk Hogan dropped the belt to the Ultimate Warrior. And a lot of people didn't see that coming. This was actually the first time since his AWA days, that at least I know of, in which Hulk Hogan, the performer lost the match cleanly. What was the feeling amongst the boys in the back about taking the strap off of him and putting it on the Warrior? Because a lot of people have told me and a, a lot of um, wrestlers have come out and said that they, they didn't think the Warrior was ready. How did you feel about it? I mean, you were a veteran at that time. People trusted you in opinion. What did you think about that switch? Well,
1: uh, the, the Warrior was never ready, uh, but he was over like a million dollars. He, he, he was out selling everybody uh, in merchandise. You know, he got over big. Uh, he, when he was the Intercontinental Champion, the Intercontinental title belt was, was uh, uh, meant probably more than the, than the world title when, when the Warrior was uh, was an IC champ. So, you know, even though he was not ready, you know, a lot of uh, skills that he worked against uh, had to carry him and then suffered through working with him because uh, he used to potato. I don't know, I'm sure you know what the potato means.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: didn't hold back. And, and, you know, he hurt a lot of guys. And a lot of guys didn't like working with him. But, but he was drawing money. And, and uh, for some reason, you know, Hulk was not happy. I, you know, I, I don't know all the details. But, you know, it, it was time. You know, uh, it was time for, for Hulk to go. Uh, you know, uh, how many guys... Could go up against, you
0: know, uh, they, they've seen it all. You know, shortly after that, you were put in another pretty good program, one that I remember and enjoy very much. It was against Mister Perfect Kurt Henning. That summer, there was an Intercontinental Title tournament. Uh, you made it to the finals. You lost to Kurt, and then there was a rematch on Saturday Night Live, or Saturday Night, uh, main event, in which you lost again. But it was a great little feud there while it lasted. What was it like working with Kurt Angle? Or, excuse me, Kurt Hennig. Kurt was
1: to me, one of the, the best uh, workers around. And when we had that tournament in in, uh, in Philadelphia, uh, I, I from what I heard, I was supposed to get the IC title back. And then, it's about the time that uh, the Ultimate Warrior w- was coming in, no, no, not the Ultimate Warrior, Von uh, Eric uh, was coming in. And they decided to go ahead and... and uh, Curt uh, Henning to to get the title, and and, uh, and shortly after that,
0: uh, I, I think if I remember correctly, he dropped it to uh, Texas. Yeah, Texas Tornado at at uh, SummerSlam '90, which was actually my next question. But I'll go. I, I'll let you finish this one first if you want. Uh, uh What was
1: that? I didn't,
0: I didn't quite get that. Oh uh, no, it's okay. My my next question was was building off of that one. To be honest with you. Um, Carrie Von Eric came in with a lot of hype for good reason, a wrestling family, you know, kind of a, a legend of the business at that point, Kerry Von Eric comes in, takes your spot against Mr. Perfect Kurt, H- Kurt, Henning wins the intercontinental title at SummerSlam 90, but then never does anything again it, with the WWF, you know, drop the belt back to perfect shortly after. Why do you feel it just never worked out for Kerry Von Eric? Who was given that push in the WWF, but didn't work out for him there?
1: Well, you know, uh, he had he had a lot of problems. He had a physical disability. Uh, I think he, uh, one of his he had uh, a foot missing, you know, from the ankle down, and uh, he wore up the stratic prosthetic foot, and was you know he was in a lot of pain, so he was taking a lot of uh, you know heavy duty medication. Uh, that a lot of people did not know about. Uh, so a lot of times, you know, you know, it, it, he wasn't all there, you know, and, and they couldn't count on him. Uh, he would uh, disappear for for days, and you know, you know, I don't know if I would have been able to wrestle with with with, uh, with a missing foot. Uh, I don't really know all the details. Over and who didn't get over it. If, if you weren't doing what he was expected, you know, he, the push
0: would stop. In October of 1992, Vince went with Bret Hart as the face of the company in what was the end of the big man era with Hulk Hogan taking a sabbatical. You know, at that time, from what I've read, the research I've done, in October of '92, it was either going to be you or Bret Hart as the new face of the company. Vince wanted to go with a technically sound veteran. Um, you know, how, how true how true is that? And do you feel at that point in your career that you would have been ready for the world title and, and to take on that, you know, responsibility that Bret Hart took on?
1: Well, I, I, I was ready. And, and uh, uh, shortly before that, I don't know if you uh, remember, I, they were building me... Uh, to get the title, uh, I beat the Undertaker in Barcelona, Spain, in '91. Towards the end of '91, uh, they were planning on going into South America, Central America, Mexico, Spain. Uh, you know, and they were going to put the belt on me. And, and I've heard it from you know several people in the office, and, and I know that for a fact. And what they were, I I had been in the territory uh, longer than anybody else, so I knew how things were done, and you know. Uh, I, I was a good enough worker where they used me to get people over at times and then they'd give me a big push and then they'd uh, bring me down again and they uh, put me to get over people again and then they'd give me a push. And every time they'd give me a push, you know, the people would get behind me. So uh, I, I, I was I was over with the fans, uh, but, you know, just didn't work out. Uh, uh, I'm kind of glad, uh, you know, it happened the way he did uh you know god bless uh Brent hardy you, you know he, he he came in into a rough time i don't know if you remember sure he wasn't because he, i mean he was a, a middle guy he wasn't a top guy uh and all of a sudden he's in the they sold him into the top and uh he wasn't drawing he wasn't i mean he, he wasn't drawing it you know he had to replace Hulk hogan and, or i don't know who he replaced but you know, it was very hard for him to to, to to draw to draw, and then I don't know if you remember when I came back uh, to do the commentating, uh, and I because I, I wasn't a fan, I wasn't watching the, the, you know what was going on in the WWF, but I saw that uh, it was the Canadians against the Americans, and and, and the fans were were going crazy, uh, and finally Brett got over, and you know I. As a commentator, I saw how much they were. They finally got over, and they were drawing. Uh, you know the Canadians, uh, him and Owen and, and Jim Nighart, and all of a sudden, I find out that uh, you know they weren't happy with Brett anymore, and you know before you know it, he got beat in Montreal.
0: You were there, you know, ten feet away from that entire thing going down on Spanish commentary that night. What was going through your mind? Do you, do you think they could have handled it differently, or were you just sitting there stunned like everybody else when Bret Hart got screwed?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't even realize, you know, how he got screwed, you know. Uh, I just know that, uh, you know, the bell, the bell rang, and, you know, they got a quick count. To, you know, I, I didn't really know what would happen, and, you know, I saw Bret going crazy, and, you know, it, 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 when I saw him going crazy and spitting at Vince and throwing the uh, stuff over, uh, in, at the computers, and you know, I realized, man, he, he really didn't know what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. The only one that knew what was going on was, was the office and, and, and the, the referee uh, who got uh, the go to, to, to give him the quick count.
0: What was it like backstage when you when you got backstage to the locker room to you know kind of grab your stuff and and try to get out of there? Was it total chaos in the back?
1: Well, it wasn't total chaos, uh, but uh, we, we did know that uh, Brett went in, in, into the office and into wherever Vince was and, and Shane were, and uh, him and Davey Boy went into the, the locker room, and I guess uh, uh, Brett was really furious and he punched Vince and. and uh, Vince used that to to, to, to draw some money, and he came out with a black eye and, you know, explained it, and, you know, Vince was all about making money, and so he utilized, you know, something that happened and made some money with
0: it. The opponent that night for Bret Hart was Shawn Michaels. You and Shawn Michaels, as I said earlier in the night, uh, or in the interview, at WrestleMania 8, in my opinion, you guys had one of the best matches on the card at the, you know, the Hoosier Dome out there in Indianapolis at WrestleMania 8 the there was a fan in the front row that was screaming for you the entire time so obviously the fans were behind you if people go back and listen to that tape you could hear this young lady just screaming tito over and over and over again what what was it like to work with Shawn michaels that night and you know he was so young and here you are again chosen to get a young talent over like like that did you have the feeling that night that hey this kid he, he has it he might go far or was it just another night at the office for you
1: you no, know, uh, everybody knew that that Sean uh, was was uh, the chosen one, and uh, he was going to get pushed big time. And you know, at, at that moment, if if somebody beat me, you know, it, it meant something. So they used me to kind of pull guys to the top, and, and uh, uh, knowing that I was going to, I just wish that I had I would have had a, a little bit more time, because uh, you know he, he was such a pleasure to work with, and you know we we. We still ended up having a great match, you know. I think I think the match lasted like seven or eight minutes. Uh, I, I wish I don't know if you you saw when they brought us together at the beginning. Uh, um, the referee brings us together, and I'm looking at Sean, and I, I tell Sean, uh, Sean, you got a booger in your nose. <laughs> and uh, and Sean <laughs> wipes his nose, and he walks away, and turns around, and comes back, and I said, "Yep, yeah, you got it." <laughs> so if you, want, if you want to go
0: back and look at that, you can read my lips where, where I tell him uh, he got a booger in his nose. Oh, that's hilarious! I, I definitely will. Well, I th- you know, I thank you for joining us today. I have uh, three questions left for you, and uh, you know that we're going to hit that 25 minute mark probably right on the button here. Um, so I just wanted to go back one more time. You know, kind of an older question. Uh, I skipped over because I wasn't sure if we we're going to have time, but I think we're going to have some time here. So. um at, you know, right after that stuff happened in uh, the in 90 in Toronto with uh, Hogan and Warrior, you know, you get to the Survivor Series later that year, about six months later, and here you are, you know, Tito Santana chosen to team with these guys in the main event, you know, the match of survival, you know, Warrior and Hogan on the same team against, you know, Ted DiBiase's evil team, and, and here you are, Tito Santana chosen to be in that main event, How good of a feeling was that, that they put you up there with Hogan and Warrior? Because, I mean, they really didn't need to. They could have went with Slaughter's team. They could have won a lot of different ways.
1: Well, it it was a great honor for me to be with those two guys. I mean, to me, they were the two hottest guys in in the business at the time. And and for me to be there, I I look at the picture, you know, and I I was built pretty good, but, you know, they made me look small. I mean, they (laughs) they were big. And uh, it it, it was an honor. And, And when they did that, uh, I, I was hoping that uh, they were going to continue and, and do something more with me, but, you know, it was all downhill after that.
0: You know, that, that I mean, that was a magical night for sure. So two questions left, and, you know, one, because you just, again, I look at you as someone who was a veteran leader, obviously, you know, used against the biggest names when they were young and, and so on down the list. You know, if you were still with them in, in 1999, obviously that we've talked a lot about Brett. But the tragic night, you know, with Owen Hart, as when Owen Hart passed away, you know, if you're there with, with that group, you know, what what would you do? You know, would you, would you urge someone to stop the show, you know, should the show must go on? Or as a veteran leader, you know, do you, you just have to stick up for the company no matter what. It, it would have to be a tough position. How would you
1: have handled it? Well, you know, the fans are the most important part, you know, and, and the fans – to watch a show, uh, I don't know how they handled it. I was already in bed because, I, like I said, I wasn't a fan. Once I left, but, you know, I didn't watch wrestling, and I, I still don't watch it. Uh, not because I don't like it; it is it, just uh, I don't really have the time. And, and I was never a wrestling fan, even when I was uh, was wrestling. Uh, I grew up not being a wrestling fan in South Texas, uh, and, and it was my kids that were watching it uh, uh, downstairs in the basement. And they came up and said, uh, Dad, uh, Owen Hart just got killed in in, in, uh, in Kansas City. Oh, I, I forgot where they
0: were. Yes, sir.
1: Cam- Cam- yes, sir. Camp Arena or something. You know, I forgot where they were. Uh, you know, the boys had no input. You know, everything that Vince said, That you know, uh, what, what was Vince going to do, stop the show and give the people their money back. And, you know, all the pay-per-view that, that uh, you know the people had spent. Uh, You know, when you're in sports, uh, it's hard, but, you know, somebody in football gets hurt. uh, He goes to the hospital and the game continues, you know. To having played football, Uh, I figured, you know, it was the right thing to do. Just continue to have the the show.
0: Final question for you, and again, we want to urge everybody out there listening, head over to titosantana.com. The book is called don't call me Chico. If you've enjoyed this 25-minute interview, just think about how much you're going to enjoy that 400-page book. Guys, it is excellent. Get your hands on it right away. Last question for you today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time out. How special was it for you in 2004? The WWE had been doing Hall of Fame classes. They they'd done a couple, but this is really the first time, you know, they they did it on mainstream TV. They had Ten Inductees it was really the first time was part of WrestleMania weekend. They made it a huge, huge deal in 2004 as part of WrestleMania 20. You got to be a part of that class. How great did that feel, and what was that night like?
1: Well, like I said, I, I, I left the WWE in 93 of August, uh, and I wasn't a fan, so I hadn't been watching, so I hadn't even realized how big the WrestleManias had gotten. Cause I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't going to you know autograph signings and you know at WrestleMania is what that they do now. Uh, when they, when Howard Finkel, God bless his soul, called me, uh, you know it was no big deal to me because they hadn't done a big uh, Hall of Fame event. So uh, the only thing that interested me was uh, how much money was I going to get paid. And when he gave me the figure of, of what I was going to get paid, it sounded pretty good to me. Uh, and then they they ended up flying my family from Texas, the, the WWE. They got two big limos for them, for, for us to get picked up in my house. We arrived in New York. We get off in the hotel, and I saw fans from all over the world, I mean, just waiting for us. And You know, that was the first time that I ever, ever really felt, I mean, I was wearing a tuxedo, uh, that I ever felt like a big star. I mean, it was like a... It, it, as big as they get in Hollywood, you know, and you know the, the fans from all over the world make me feel really, really good. And uh, it, it ended up having a, you know, it ended up being a great night.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time today to appear here with Key on Sports as part of the Key on Sports Network. We want to thank you one last time. And there is there any any last words you want to say to all the fans before we end today's interview? <laughs>
1: Well, I just want to tell all the fans that that are listening and I want to give them my thanks because, uh, you know, the fans that I've had have uh, stayed uh, and and continue to support me uh, through either cameos, I mean, you can't believe how many cameos I get requested, uh, and and with the book and, and whenever I go to appearances, you know, they make me feel good and, you know, without the fans, none of us would be anybody, you know, so... Uh, Tito Santana is Tito Santana because of the wrestling fans that always have behind me, and I'm forever grateful.
0: Arriba! Excellent. Thank you, sir, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck. All right, that was Tito Santana. You remember him, you know him, you love him. One of my favorites Uh, growing up. I am 38 years old, so I am right in that sweet spot, guys. Um, You know, in 85 for WrestleMania One, I was going to be turning four years old shortly after that. And my memory is, is clear, I, I've, I've seen every Wrestlemania, I could tell you the winner of every match, SummerSlam, all of it. So, yeah, no doubt about it, Tito Santana, one of those guys, uh, they could count on to put in there with the big names like Shawn Michaels, Macho Man, Randy Savage, on and on down the list, uh, just loaded with talent. He had charisma, the fans were behind him, and truly an honor for us to be able to ha- go ahead today and feature him on Keon Sports. Swing over to TitoSantana.com. Also, uh, we will put a link for that book. You could order it here with this article as well. And thank you for clicking on it. Keyonsports.com. I am Vince McKee. We'll talk to everybody soon.